Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, Episode 9, the one about KFC, Microsoft, Scaling Your Content, and Flash Gordon. Let's get on with the show. Hi there, welcome to another recording of the Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. We're here to keep you up to date with the latest tech, news, content, and wisdom from the world of marketing. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Man on a Mission, to keep marketing simple. He's the voice of the Marketing and Finance Podcast and the host of the Roger Vlog video series. I give you Mr. Roger Edwards. Hello, everybody. Great to be back, and it's always fabulous to spend some time with a man who's also on a mission to demystify digital marketing. He's the host of the Content Marketing Studio video podcast. Let me introduce you to Mr. Pascal Fintoni. Well, thank you so much, Roger. This is episode nine. Episode nine. And Pascal, you do realize that most podcasts, most new podcasts, don't make it past episode seven. So we've hit that very important milestone already. I wasn't aware of that. So I'm even more pleased. And can I just say also that, you know, the feedback and the congratulation messages that we've received have been really heartwarming. I was wondering, Roger, if uh, think about episode 10, We'll also spend some time to do some shout-outs to our well-wishers and supporters. Absolutely. Sounds like a really good idea. So next week, episode 10, let's read out some of that feedback. Great idea. Can't wait. But for now, let's move on to In the News. And we begin with Lego, who's launching a braille version of its bricks with studs rearranged to recreate the letters and numbers on the braille alphabet. This is to encourage blind and visually impaired children to explore new ways of learning to read and write. Facebook has launched its own news service, Facebook News, in India following a year of testing in the United States. It will become available soon in the United Kingdom, Germany, France and Brazil. Well, Cisco, you know who owns the WebEx video conferencing service, announced it was going to acquire Babbel Labs. This is a startup that using AI to filter out background noises. YouTube took down around 11 million videos and 2.1 million comments in the second quarter of this year using AI to detect content that did not respect its community guidelines. Some news from Twitter, who's updated its censorship policy. It will now hide tweets with text that has been simply copied and pasted from a source without any modification. Apple TV is planning to add augmented reality content to its streaming service next year. Viewers will be able to overlay characters or objects onto the real world via an iPhone or iPad app. According to the Open University, Roger, the pandemic is driving a surge in distance learning with, listen to this, over 950,000 course enrollments on its website, OpenLearn. Managerial skills and digital skills are both in demand. Satelliteinternet.com, a telecom news company, will pay one random winner $1,000 to give up technology for an entire weekend and camp in an RV at a US national park. Well, uh, once again, some incredible news, Roger. Very difficult to pick one or two. But since you read it out, can I ask your reaction to Facebook news? I mean, do we need another news platform? Well, I don't know, really. I mean, my initial reaction is probably not. I mean, Facebook is a social 
media platform, isn't it? It's a it's a social interaction where people can chat to their friends. Uh, and my initial reaction is, no, keep news out of it. Because let's face it, news can be quite polarising. And I think that social media is getting almost too polarising at the moment. You know, people falling out over politics, falling out over um, everything. So do we really need to inject something potentially more polarizing into Facebook. But then on the other side of the coin, you know, news is on Twitter, news is on LinkedIn. Maybe it doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's kind of, is it just, you know, another way to essentially control the audience? You know, you're on Facebook Marketplace, you're on Facebook News, you're on Messenger, and so on and so forth. Um, I just don't know. I mean, ultimately, if right now the world has been able to do without Facebook News, what is it that they're going to add to the experience? Maybe there'd be something very interesting they're going to come up with. Very difficult to to know. And, um, and maybe we need more analysis, Pascal, because, you know, I, I have worked in the PR sector um, as part of my career. And one of the things that I always used to like was when you used to put out a press release, you know, the news media would analyse that press release and turn it into maybe a lead story, then maybe look at the data, they, they, they'd dig a little bit deeper. Sometimes you, you know, had to be careful you didn't let them uncover something sinister. Whereas I've noticed more recently that because there are so many news outlets, you know, you put a press release out there and it almost just gets used verbatim. If it's, you know, if it appears on a website, they'll literally copy and paste it into the website. You know, you could even put a deliberate typo in the press release and chances are it would make it onto the screen because they just don't check. And if all Facebook news becomes is yet another way of just getting the same sound bites out there without any extra reason for going to Facebook to read it, then I, I don't think I'll be going. No, I, th- I think you're right. And I've heard this said before, by the way, Roger, where you described from other colleagues who work, work in the world of PR. I mean, on one hand, those news organizations are grossly under-resourced now, mm. the sheer volume of content you know, making their way to their, their desk. And sometimes all they have time to do is a cursory glance, seems all right, copy-paste, oddly, and then it's out, which is why you have then an enormous amount of content that is duplicated. I mean, when you and I, for example, do the research for this podcast, mm-hmm. we found one article, and often what I do is I copy and paste maybe a sentence just to see if I can get some additional data or a different perspective, as you mentioned. And often all I, all I find is the same, exactly the same article <laughs> on different websites, which is strangely is what uh, Twitter, as I mentioned a moment ago, is trying to fight against. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the Twitter thing is interesting because when I first read that, I was saying, is it actually somebody copies and pastes somebody else's tweet? But no, what they're saying is that if, if I see an article that I like on the internet and decide to lift a paragraph out of it and put that into the tweet, that's what they're going to pick up on. Am I getting that right? I think you are. And the challenge for me is that as a curator myself, I like to quote, I like to put a paragraph or a sentence to kind of cause intrigue or or to let people know this is of value. Mm-hmm. So yeah, let's wait and see. But uh, I think they're going to get it wrong more than they're going to get it right, don't you think? Yeah, and and, and of course... People will be able to get around it, presumably, by taking a photograph of the article that they want to quote or something like that and including the photograph instead of the actual text itself. 
Oh, I didn't know you had you were so close to the criminal mind, Roger. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I was I never thought of that. You know? But uh, so once again, there's lots we could um, discuss in the news. Uh, I think I like the idea of AI for good. So you know, Cisco obviously improving the creation of sound. I mean, I wonder whether Cisco really n- never thought of it until quite recently, and I wonder whether lockdown has been a source of lots of creative thinking and, and new ideas coming through. I think lockdown has focused a lot of people's attention on a lot of things, hasn't it, Pascal? And we're going to come to our content spotlight in a moment where I think that a really good example of that's happened. Um, what I would like to also say is I quite fancy the idea of being given an RV and somewhere nice for the weekend. I'd be gladly, gladly give up my iPhone and my iPad for a weekend for a nice beauty spot in the wilderness with an RV, as long as it's a comfortable RV. Oh, absolutely. Now, what, what is interesting, when I looked into the, into the details of the competition, once again, hoping you and I could t- take part, uh, to begin with, you have to be a US citizen, obviously. Nah. But there is a, a catch. Well, is it a catch? I don't know. So you spend a weekend, obviously, uh, in the RV, beauty spots somewhere in the national park you have access to no technology but on the third day you have to go live with a host from satelliteinternet.com to tell your to share your experience so and then they, i'm sure they're going to use that as content for their marketing as long as they haven't got a film crew filming you 24 <laughs> 7 for the days that you're supposed to be away excellent well listen you mentioned it a moment ago it's time to move on to content spotlights So I believe this is Roger's favorite segment of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, where we reveal once a week an article, a podcast, a video that we've essentially discovered, kept to ourselves, and only reveal the day of the recording. So with that in mind, Roger, what have you discovered this week? Okay, Pascal, this is a, a, an article which appeared in The Drum magazine, written by a gentleman called John McCarthy, and it's all about KFC. Um, now, on the, on the one hand, it looks just like a, a, a news item that we've, we've just done, but actually it's more of an in-depth look at a specific KFC marketing campaign. And, and it just drew my attention just because they've effectively had to completely rethink uh, a campaign that they were bringing out in the start of 2020 and obviously covid came along just like it did with everybody it's made them have to sit back rethink quite a lot of stuff but this is a really good example of a campaign which totally and utterly would have bombed had they gone ahead with it in the new environment so obviously everybody knows kfc's strapline is finger licking good and at the beginning of 2020 their campaign was about to break and it was going to feature quite a lot of video of people from all over the world literally licking their fingers the idea being of course it's finger licking good so tasty you know the colonel sanders recipe and of course covid comes along and What do we have to do to protect ourselves against COVID? We've got to keep washing our hands. And all of a sudden, a campaign which is going to be effectively built around the concept of licking your own fingers, it's just icky, isn't it, in that new environment where we're we're a bit frightened of of touching anything with our fingers. Um, So obviously they scrapped the campaign and 
now they've rebooted it in a way and adapted it to the COVID environment. And this article goes into great detail as to the thinking behind that. But effectively, they're, they're still playing upon their finger-licking good strapline, but almost saying, you know that strapline that we've been going on for years? Forget about it for a while. And and there's various different executions of that. So, for example, in one video that I've seen, you've you've got finger and then licking, and it's been uh, pixelated out. And then other ones have got an asterisk that says ignore this for a while, and that sort of thing. And and it's actually really quite clever because what it does is it reminds everybody of the log of the strapline without actually using it. And and and, and it's, there's there's quite a lot of um, video play and a quite quite a lot of visuals to support that. But what's really fascinating about the article is that. It goes into the details of how they modified the the campaign, and probably in the first time in KFC history. Now, obviously, it's a massive global brand. It's probably in pretty much every single country, and like any global brand, you probably don't run the exact exactly the same marketing campaign in e each country. You'll have to modify it for the local audience. You know, because some people's cultures are different. Some people. Some words mean different things in some cult, and you've got to make sure you don't upset somebody in one country and not in another. But what they're saying is that this new execution of finger-licking good, or forget finger-licking good as it actually is, it's the first time in their history they've been able to run it absolutely exactly in every single country. And the argument is that this global crisis is one of consistency. Every country has been affected by it in the same way. Whatever your culture, whatever your language, it's all affected everybody the same. And that's why they've been able to execute this new version of their campaign pretty much uniformly across the entire world. And I thought that was really, really interesting. And this article basically lays it all out for you. Oh, smashing. Well, I'll definitely follow the link from the show notes and have a look through. Um, again, you know, whilst we often make reference to the world of B2C in some of our selections, it's because you and I firmly believe that there are some great lessons and, and where we can essentially be inspired to, again, use imagination for our own B2B campaigns, if that's your universe. So now thanks for that. And I love the idea of a global kind of challenge creating actually a global message that kind of uh, which I feels was tackled um, responsibly, if you don't mind mm -hmm. me say so, by mm -hmm. by mm -hmm. KFC uh, on the on this occasion anyway. Yeah, I think they've 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 done a lot of thinking about it, and and I think they had to always be aware that they you know their original execution of it just didn't fit. And therefore, they've taken the time. They've obviously done research, probably in all of those countries as well. And the execution, I just think, fits absolutely perfectly. It's it's been. I mean, I'm I'm not a massive fan of KFC myself, to be honest. Maybe once a year, if 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 at all, uh, will I actually eat in a in a uh, KFC takeaway? But it really did draw my attention, mm -hmm. and I just I just love the way they've gone about this. Ah, oh, smashing! Thank you very much. So this week, uh, Roger, I'm going to surprise you, and I'm okay. not going to go for a long-form written content. All I'm right. going to go for a podcast episode. 
Okay. Uh, as we mentioned in previous sessions of Two Gigs and a Marketing Podcast, the level of consumption of audio content has increased quite substantially. And of course, I took part in that. And I've been listening to somebody that I've not listened to for a while in this conference, a chap called Robert Rose from okay. the Content Marketing Institute. Now, I used to listen to Robert and actually his co-host, Joe Pulizzi, when they had a podca- podcast sorry, called This Old Marketing. Uh, and what they would do literally at the end of the week is chat about content they, they glean from the web and content has been sent by, by the, the listeners. And I used to listen to their podcast on long car journeys. Now, for obvious reasons, my my car journeys are very limited and not very long at all until a week ago where you and I and our very good friend Richard Tubb met and had a very socially distant and responsible uh, lunch and get together. So in that car journey, I rediscovered Robert Rose and okay. his podcast called The Weekly Wrap. So Robert, every Friday, will essentially issue a podcast under the series label The Weekly Wrap. And I will say it's a lesson about content marketing and the lesson on content marketing. It's just great. So to begin with, I want to talk to you about the format of the weekly wrap. It's in three segments. At the beginning, there is an address from Robert, something that he's written, something that he's crafted, and it's actually really quite something to see his storytelling and his kind of uh, art as a raconteur to have uh, improved, as we'd expect, over the years. So he gives you a bit of an address to make you think about something. Then he has an interview with uh, another expert, again, about the same subject. And then finally, we recommend an article from their vault, from their archive but those three elements of the address the interview the archive are all there to help you come up with your own answer about a key questions that is asking during the podcast and on this occasion the question that robert was asking was should you add more to scale your content strategy okay. so that was leading questions and then using the three segments of the address the interview and the article is essentially inviting you to come up with your own answer. Now, you need to know that Robert is a chief content strategist at the CMI, and I think he's got a strong, strong lean towards education, which kind of explains it. The other thing that they do very well, but you would expect that from them, is content repurposing. So mm. it's available as a podcast, as a YouTube video, but also as a pretty advanced form of show notes, if, if you will. Uh, so you can really kind of choose how you want to consume it. I have to say the podcast works really well for me because there is also some element of music in the background. There's some element of you know segments and jingles and so on. And it kind of really works really well uh, as a podcast. Now, with regard to the question, should you add more to scale your content strategy? Of course, you understand that he's looking at both sides. Well, firstly, should you scale at all? Mm-hmm. Or should you be happy with what you're doing? But if you're going to scale, what will you do? Are you going to increase the number of people working on content? Are you going to increase number or improve the processes? Or, which is actually at the heart of this debate, are you going to do like what everybody does, which is to get more apps and more machinery to kind of you know help you scale up? And I think at the heart of this discussion um, is asking the questions, is tech serving us or are we serving the tech in content marketing? And I thought that was a very, very interesting question. It's something that you and I have, a, have kind of touched on before, which is the idea of, you know, who's in control here? Are you essentially doing what you're doing every week in terms of content because of the machinery that you've kind of put in, in, in place? 
or are you doing it because you are truly understanding of what you're going to do here? And when it comes to scaling and improving what you do already, the challenge as part of this kind of uh, reflection is if you want to scale up your, your content strategy, it is on the basis that you know what's working. Mm. And is actually putting the case that perhaps in general, people have a feeling that their content marketing is working, but they're not sure how it is working. Mm -hmm. So on that basis, how can you scale? Yeah, it's very interesting this, isn't it? I, I love the, the way that he does this in three almost like different ways. So he has his address and the interview and the, the archive. That's quite a nice approach. I have to say, I've, I've not come across Robert Rose before. Joe Polizzi, yes, but but not Robert Rose. And in terms of scaling up, I guess it, it, it always comes back to who is your customer. Uh, and, and the customer's problem that you're addressing with your marketing and with your product or your service. And, 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 the, and the content has always got to serve that customer. And you, you have to know whether that customer is consuming the content in the place that you're putting it. And, and if they're not, then you have to seriously ask yourself, why am I putting my content onto this new platform? And, and if you do want to scale it up, you still have to answer that question. You know, a new platform comes along and it isn't just a question of, oh, I need to be on there now. You've got to say, is my customer going to be on there? And if the customer isn't going to be on there or they're not going to be on there yet, then you know, you don't really have to pile in there straight away. It's always about the customer. And, and you know, I, I preach this and I still forget it myself, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I'm like any marketer. Something new comes along and I want to try it. And I immediately say, oh, I need to get my content onto there. But sometimes you've got to stop yourself, take a deep breath and say, is it actually going to serve my customer? And if the answer is no, then you don't actually need to be there. I think this uh, part of the skill set of uh, content creators or online marketers, learning to say no. Yes. It's not easy. The irony, Roger, is that our next segment is marketing tech and apps. <laughs> so let's get excited about some marketing tech and apps. Now, in this segment, once again, Roger and I surprise each other with our selection of tech and app that can make life easier for all of us out there who are building brands via the internet. So, Roger, what are your suggestions and recommendations for today? Well, Pascal, I've got a bit of a travel theme going on this week and also a little bit of, a, of, a, of an apology because my first piece of tech isn't really anything to do with marketing, but it is a lot to do with me being a bit of a travel geek. And I just want to tell you about Microsoft Flight Simulator 2020. Now, this piece of software has gone through many, many iterations on all different versions of PCs, going way, way back to the very early days of Windows, where you could effectively fly a plane that just looked like it was made out of a few pieces of um, white stick on a black background. You know, it was really, really basic graphics. And Microsoft haven't actually issued a flight simulator update for probably I think it's about 12 years sorry I should have checked the exact figure there I think it's about 12 years but there's been a lot 
of build-up to this new launch, which has just happened in the last week or two, and it's Microsoft Flight Simulator 2020. Now, the first thing I will say is it's not a game, so anybody out there who just wants to fly a plane easily... This is genuinely a flight simulator. You know, it is as good as those big flight simulators that pilots learn how to fly planes in. It is that accurate. And therefore, it is hellishly hard. The learning curve is massive. And it's going to take me and presumably everybody else who's not a pilot, it's going to take us a hell of a long time to get used to this. The second thing is the graphics are incredible and what microsoft have done is they've come up with this clever idea where the program effectively sucks the data out of microsoft's maps um, as part of of the bing um, search engine and it creates the world from real maps whereas obviously in the past it was all created from from graphics so literally if you've got a decent pc and 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 my my PC is about four years old and it, and it's running it all right. If you've got a decent PC and you go up as high as you can in the settings, it's literally photorealistic. You know, you can fly over your own house, you can fly over local landmarks, you can fly over absolutely perfect renditions of New York, London, and and all the big cities, and and it's it's just incredible. It's just incredible how accurate and detailed this really is you know it it is beautiful it's absolutely beautiful and it really is just like flying an aircraft being in an aircraft and looking out of the window so well done microsoft flight simulator the only downside is it takes about half an hour to to boot the program up there's so much data involved in it so you literally have to press the icon and then go away and do something else for half an hour while well that's your own so. version of the flight check you know it's like most aircraft would take half an hour before they could leave well, the airport you're, you're, you're absolutely right. You're just waiting for a air traffic control slot. So that is exactly <laughs> what it was. So, so having having rediscovered Microsoft Flight Simulator, it did get me thinking again about what will happen when we start getting back to travel. Now, that doesn't seem to be on the short term horizon, but before lockdown, quite a lot of my speaking engagements involved multiple travel via cities so living in edinburgh and and similar to yourself living um, down in in durham pascal most of your flights internationally might have to go via london because yes you can fly direct from edinburgh and from newcastle but often you have to route through another city and i came across this an amazing it's a website and an app and it's called skip lagged skip lagged which is a bit of a weird name for a travel app but it's the best one for coming up with multiple city itineraries so if i want to go from edinburgh to somewhere like belgrade in serbia or or podgorica in montenegro i'll just put the departure point the arrival point and it will give me the routings often with one two maybe even three different flights and then it will rank them obviously in terms of expense class economy business all of that sort of thing days of the week and and it's a remarkable it's one of those apps which you can actually just go on and play if you're a bit of a travel nut and you just want to see what routes it might come up with you know i'll start in edinburgh and i want to end up in in grenada in the caribbean see how it comes and it's just quite nice sometimes to see what it suggests so as we get back into travel if you're like me and you you often have to travel 
via London or via Manchester or something like that. Try out Skip Lagged. It, it's really good and it and it often comes up with a very interesting itinerary. Well, here's a challenge for you then, Roger. I think that the very next time you go on a flight, you should, as part of your Roger Vlog episode, have a moment where you're using the platform, then getting on the flight and so on. And for some of you who have not watched any of the Roger Vlog uh, episode, do so, because I think you probably have used every single bit of tr- uh, form of transport known to man. <laughs> uh, I don't know if, you, if you've done a ferry yet review, because you're on the train, you've done flying, I know you've done... Yeah, uh, no, I don't think I've car. done a ferry. So I think you, a ferry. you need to do a ferry. <laughs> I was, I was, Pascal. I was even thinking. You know, I haven't been on a plane for ages. I was even thinking of doing almost like a spoof episode of Rog Vlog, where I pretend to go to the airport and I pretend to get on a plane, but actually all I'm doing is doing a screen recording of me flying somewhere on Microsoft Flight Simulator. I think you should do that, absolutely. (laughs) Now, listen, Roger, um, as um, you know where you know, but our audience should know, is that we don't talk to each other about both the content spotlights and the marketing tech and apps, so it's a a surprise. I've chosen Microsoft products as well for today, which is kind of interesting. Now, um, let me give you a bit of an anecdote. So a while back, I was asked if I could help somebody, a coffee in the chat moment, which I know you've done as well. You know, people say, listen, I'm a bit stuck. I think it was all to do with um, understanding Facebook a bit better. It was to do with social media. So we agreed to go on Zoom, coffee in the chat, no obligation to buy. And can I just say, Roger, if if you'd allow me, I was on fire. I really did a good job to essentially share advice, give people a structure, give people a bit of a blueprint. And when the call was over, you know what I thought, right? I thought, damn, I should have recorded this because that would have been at the heart maybe of a blog post or of an article, even a white paper. That's a challenge. When Microsoft Word online have just released about two, three weeks ago now, a AI-powered dictation and transcription as part of Microsoft Word. So as far as I understand, you have to use the online version. I think it's called 365. Sometimes it's called Live. Sometimes it's called OneDrive. It's very confusing. But if you use the online version of your Microsoft Office package, then you will see a microphone icon on the uh, on the toolbar. If you click on that, you can choose dictation. So in the case of the anecdote of me talking via Zoom to somebody, I could have the uh, the window open and it would literally transcribe you know, my words. I've done the test, Roger, and I have to tell you, it's really impressive. I even did a test where I spoke really fast with a very strong French accent. I was like a character from Allo Allo, <laughs> and, and it was still picking up you know, the, the language. So you can imagine then all you have to do is edit down and, and kind of work on the structure of your, of your content. The transcription, I'm not convinced. So what you can do with it is you can upload an MP3 or a WAV file, and then you go through, you know, behind the scenes, the kind of data crunching, and then return back the transcription. That wasn't so good. So the compromise I found was, well, do you remember a moment ago I was mentioning Robert Rose mm. and the podcast? I actually went on YouTube to look at the video version. So on one window, I was playing the YouTube a video of Robert Rose talking, and the other I had Microsoft Word, and he was transcribing, uh-huh. picking up the sound from the laptop speakers. So that's a good one. So have a look at this. The next one, still a Microsoft product. I'm going to go into PowerPoint. Now I 
as I was kind of discovering about Microsoft Word, I remembered, which I think says a lot about how much I forget at the moment, that on the online version of PowerPoint, Roger, there is an AI-powered subtitling and translation feature. So here's the scene. Um, You are presenting maybe at a conference virtually. You You have some slides on PowerPoint. They are shown via the live version of Microsoft PowerPoint. And as you talk, your words are then captioned at the bottom part of the slide. Now, what would you want to do that? Maybe some people are watching your presentation with that sound, Roger, or maybe mm. some of them, because I know you traveled extensively in Eastern Europe, the English is a second language. That just yep. supports them understanding what you're talking about. But there's the thing. If, if they want to, they can join your live presentation and choose a language that would then be translated into. So, so someone could actually say, um, at the end of the day, my English is still you know, um, not what, what it could be, so I'm going to choose for this to be translated in French, in Spanish, in Hungarian, and so on and so forth. And they are adding languages all the time. And I have to tell you, now that we are going to be doing more online, I think we will go back to some form of you know, attending physical events, but I think the online will dominate for quite some time. The option from the customer service point of view to say, well, I'll tell you what, my version is Microsoft PowerPoint Live, and if you want to, you can choose a translation. That would be so powerful. This is, it is really powerful, isn't it? It's incredible, actually. And and, and actually, if you think about it, um, transcriptions and all of that sort of thing, our go-to resources for the last few years have been things like Rev and Temi. And, and, and actually, when you think about it, Microsoft, with its Office package, being around for so long, you would have thought that they would have been at the cutting edge of this. Um, So in reality, even as powerful as this is, it has actually taken them a while to catch up. But it's actually nice now that it will all be available within the same package. And it's so rare to mention Microsoft and innovation side by side, bless them. (laughs) Uh, So so I think that that, that's just great. But, you know, wow. This is where you know I get excited about artificial intelligence. You know when it's really adding such great value to what we do. So you have it: Microsoft Word and Microsoft PowerPoint. Go online, find the live version, and see if the audio uh, elements can help you create better content faster. Fantastic. Well, thanks again, Roger. Shall we move on to what I believe is one of your favorite segments this week in history? So Pascal, in 1935, Howard Hughes, the millionaire filmmaker and aviator, flies his own design plane over 350 miles per hour. Three years later, he would fly around the world in 91 hours. Wow. Well, in 1942, Roger, Five on the Treasure Island is published by Enid Blyton, starting one of the best-selling children's series ever, with more than two million copies of the book sold each year. Oh, here's one right after my own heart. In 1966, the first episode of sci-fi TV series Star Trek airs on NBC. Entitled The Man Trap, it is in fact the sixth episode produced, but it was chosen because of its horror storyline. In 1977, Pioneer 11 becomes the first man-made object to fly by Saturn. The space probe was launched in 1973 by NASA. It eventually left our solar system, and the last signal was received on November 24, 1995. In 1990, the first internet search engine is launched, called Archie. 
and it was used to index archives and make finding files easier. Due to limited space, only the listings were available and not the content for each website. Well, talking of files, Roger, in 1993, The X-Files, created by Chris Carter and starring Gillian Anderson and David Duchovny, premieres on Fox Division, reaching 12 million viewers. What an absolutely cracking series that was. In 2005, Apple replaces the iPod Mini with the iPod Nano. One million units were sold in the first 17 days. The groundbreaking use of flash storage paved the way for its use in the iPhone, iPad and MacBooks. Wow. Well, finally, in 2008, the Large Hydron Collider is powered up in Geneva, for what many called history's biggest science experiment, the discovery of the Higgs boson, better known as the God's Particle. The God's Particle. Pascal, I've gonna, I'm going to have to do this. Look what I've got. I can't remember which is which. Oh, my goodness. But I think, I think that that's the iPod Mini, and I think that that's the iPod Nano, but I had both. <laughs> I've never had any. I've had a normal uh, kind of uh, MP3 player. Uh huh. Um, and I think by the time I was maybe considering getting one, it was over. <laughs> <laughs> the nano, the nano, I actually really liked because it had, it was the first one that had a little video screen on it, so I could watch videos on that. Unfortunately, that one no longer works. This one does, and it's you know it's still I think it's eight uh, eight megabytes on there, or, or no, it's eight gigs on there. So quite a lot of, of memory for yeah. for something that's about fifteen years old. Do you know, I mean, I've got boxes full of um, old gear and uh, my wife, Denise, always asked, what are you going to do with that? I said, just just leave it, you know, because one day, oh, well, I didn't think that would, there would be a podcast for us to, to show our mandrel, <laughs> but, uh, the, um, the content of our mandrel. But uh, it's funny, I mean, I've got my very first mobile phone. I don't know if you've done the same. Oh, yes, I have got my old little Nokia, my flip screen, my flip, flip top. Yeah, uh, Nokia. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That one. I've, I had a very, very small silver Sony Ericsson, and the the keys were so tiny and so close to each other, it was impossible to dial anyone. <laughs> <laughs> and I love the fact that Star Trek is one of our pieces of history today, because of course the star of the original Star Trek series was William Shatner. I know the, the the very, very first episode they made was with a different captain, Christopher Fyke, but the main captain, Captain Kirk, was played by William Shatner. And just as an aside, you mentioned Rogvlog before. One of my episodes of Rogvlog that I put out last year was me talking about Greyfriars Bobby, which is in Edinburgh folklore. And the producers of a program on the History Channel in the U in the United States saw my Rogelog episode and invited me to re recreate the narrative that I did in the vlog for them on the on the History Channel. And William Shatner was the presenter of that episode. So really, in in incredible, wow. incredible, incredible how these things come round, isn't it? But there's a lesson for all of you as and listeners. I mean, Rod's vlog, I know, is a passion project for you. And it's it's really, really good, you know, as, as content goes. And I know that it's helped you practice some of your, your speaking skills. But it's opened so many doors. Um, that's why I'm a great fan of, of content marketing, Don, where sometimes, yeah, you've got to do it with something that is linked to your sales funnel. But sometimes just do it for passion. And yeah. usually that's the thing that oddly w works better. I must talk to you about um, Five on the Treasure Island yeah. <laughs> because um, I think that's why it gave me the passion for 
adventure as a style of, of story. So, of course, I read um, the French translation. It wasn't called the Famous Five, by the way. They were called the uh, Club of Five, the Club des Cinq. And it was what taken. What was the dog called? Uh, Dagobert in French. Ah. <laughs> what, was, what was the dog called in, uh, in English? Do you remember? Timmy, Timmy the dog. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, which Dagobert being actually a, a French character from, from history. And the story took place in Brittany, where my grandparents used to live. And I used to go to Brittany every summer. So I used to kind of imagine that I was walking through the paths and maybe going on the beach where, you know, the famous five uh, had been. But yeah, they were great adventures. And I'm glad that, you know, children are still reading them today. Yeah, and, and the, they did a TV series back in the 80s as well of, yes, of they fa- did. Famous Five. And there was, a, there was a very famous pastiche of it done by the comic strip Presents. I think it was called something like Five Go Mad in Dorset or something like that. And of course, it was very adult humour. But so uh, yeah, it, it, Enid Blyton is, in a, is, is one of those historical authors, I guess, that maybe goes out of fashion in the modern world. But it's pure adventure and pure escapism and i still think it stacks up today yeah absolutely so we're not going to talk about the x-files because time is against us yes Um, but i have to say i couldn't help but feel a little sorry for pioneer 11 that disappeared into the you know the far-flung part of the universe in november 24th 1995 the last signal i don't know do you think it would have been a um a moving moment for the scientists working for nasa that, you know, that was it. We'd, we don't know what's happened to poor Pioneer 11. Yeah, you know, they, I mean, it, it'll be like a child to them, you know, their baby. Um, but you never know. Maybe even now, Pioneer has bumped into <laughs> some piece of alien tech, and that piece of alien tech is integrating itself into Pioneer. And maybe, just maybe, one day, Pioneer will come back. Right. Well, if it's like any of the movies that you get inspiration from, I hope not. It stays where it is. Right. It's always a super segment. Nice bit of um, light-hearted commentary on you know the evolution of of tech and how it's impacted, obviously, marketing and popular culture. Roger, can we move on to our next segment? Our creators' shoutouts. Okay, Pascal, I've got a couple for you this week. All right. First of all, I'd like to tell you about a gentleman called Stefan Thomas. Now, Stefan has been around the speaking circuit for many, many years. I've been to a few conferences where I've seen him speak. I've been to a few conferences where I've shared a stage with him. Stefan is uh, very well known for his flowery Hawaiian shirts and his beard. That's his on-stage image. And I think he always comes on stage to the Ace of Spades by Motorhead as well. Uh, But that's not the point. Stefan is an expert in networking. And the reason for the shout-out is he's just relaunching the Network Retreat video show, which is a live show that he puts out on Facebook. Now, I I have a sort of love-hate relationship with networking. I'm definitely not a fan of those networking meetings where you turn up at something like 6.30 in the morning and you have a bacon butty and you all stand around and look shifty and and, and don't really know what to say. But, But Stefan sort of has redefined networking. 
and some of the meetings that he's been involved in are nothing like what I've just described. And he, he's, he's just got so many great tips for how to expand your network, how to talk to the right people, how to promote yourself without being sleazy. And I think it's really good to see that the Network Retreat video show is back. So check it out. The link's in the show notes, Stefan Thomas. The second one, Pascal, um, this isn't really a piece of content. This is just a concept. This is a lady called Making Sang. Now, I've known Making for quite a while, and she describes herself as a FOMO creator. FOMO meaning fear of missing out. And, and FOMO is one of these, these recent concoctions, isn't it, where if there's an event, whether it's a conference or a concert or something like that, and you're not going, you know, you almost have that sort of that fear of missing out. Uh, and and it, this, this has affected me a few times, you know, uh, usually in February, March each year, quite a lot of the people that we know go to uh, social media marketing world over in San Diego. And, and, and for that week, you know, you cannot go on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook without seeing millions of posts from people on various stages of the journey going over to America or various drinking events or various uh, speeches or workshops that they've been involved with. And sometimes you do feel as if you're missing out. Well, May King has created a concept where she works with conference producers to create that FOMO. So she'll be all over Twitter, she'll be all over Instagram, she'll be using the hashtag, she'll be interviewing the speakers, she'll be interviewing the guests, she'll be going live pretty much constantly. And I've seen the effects of this, and she gets absolutely huge spikes in social media reach for the events that she's involved with. And I don't think there's anyone else in the entire world who does this. She's created this concept herself. I keep telling her, you are the original and the only <laughs> person doing this whole, whole FOMO stuff. So yeah, it's, it's not a piece of content. It's just a concept, but making sang really really well done at doing what you do no no and a well-deserved shout out for sure so uh, roger this week for me it's all about you know creativity in the face of adversity and so the first gentleman i want to mention to you is oliver banks now oliver banks is the founder of ob and co um, business and is a retail transformation and innovation consultant bringing years and years of working for some of the big brands out there in the high street into services you know which would be in terms of knowledge transfer recommendations consultants and so on and Oliver wanted 2020 to be a very different year than what has transpired in the world of retail, as you can imagine. So to begin with, he had a conference organized and planned for July and took the brave decision to go online only and kind of went on with his Retail Transformation Live conference. But what I want to talk to you about is his podcast series called The Retail Transformation Show. And again, at a time where retail is really you know, having to rethink and do things very, very differently, and sometimes have little control over what is happening, is able to really invite some great people and have some great discussion that not only will help people work in retail, but I would argue, Roger, anyone running a business. Because ultimately, you know, what I'm always kind of arguing, as you know, is that imagination is the ingredient that's going to make the big difference between success and just doing okay. 
And, and I think that all of us, no matter our occupation, have got a lot to learn from some of Oliver's on understanding and knowledge, but also Oliver's guest in terms of how to rethink the customer experience in, in during the pandemic, how to rethink the customer experience, how to understand your audience better. Roger, which I know is your favorite subject. And I do believe that even though you may not work in retail, just check out on occasion the podcast by Oliver Banks to retail transformation show because truly some of the statements some of the nuggets of information being shared are going to make a big difference to you the next person i want to talk to you about which is again that creativity in the face of adversity is a lady called laura perman who is a personal branding photographer so once again an occupation like many that has been impacted upon negatively by the uh, the pandemic as a photographer specializing in personal branding and when you can't go out and see people that's a tough one right so absolutely what did she do with all that extra time but to begin with she kind of rethought the business she's got some great packaging uh, in terms of services doing things you know more safely at distance and so on but she also launched as part of her youtube channel called moi tv so moi as in a big kiss moi tv mm -hmm. she's launched something called life in lockdown photography and what she's doing once a month, she's inviting some of her friends who are also photographers to essentially document what it's like for them at this moment in time. And sometimes she will give them like proper homework, like like a theme, and do some photography. And then she records an interview where they give a running commentary on why they did the photography in that particular way and what we can take away, all of us as marketers and business owners, for more imagination and more creativity. The whole series has the hashtag creative contagion, which is also, <laughs> she had that kind of humor. But the reason why I would encourage you uh, and our viewers and listeners to check out the videos is also the editing and the storytelling. It's like a small documentary. She's put a lot of work into it and she deserves, you know, the shout out for this week as well. Laura's awesome and she's done she did my headshots that I use on my social media and on my website so well deserved shout out definitely excellent so yeah thanks again for bringing um, your creators you know to the fore uh, to this week Roger time is nearly over but we still have time Roger to move on to film marketing yes right Roger 40 years ago, 40-4-0, something very special happened for filmgoers around the world. Flash Gordon was released. Flash Gordon. Now, Pascal, again, we might be accused of choosing a really, really old film, but... Let, let, let's just be honest with the listeners and the viewers just for a moment. You mentioned our good friend Mr Richard Tubb uh, in a, in, in, earlier in the show. Before lockdown... We got together, didn't we? We we hired we a, an Airbnb. We we often do this uh, when when the world isn't locked down. We hire a, a Airbnb. We spend the the day helping each other out with biz, our business. So it's almost like a, a a mastermind. But then in the evening, we always have some fun, and we got a couple of bottles of wine. We got an Indian takeaway, and we watched Flash. Gordon and it was just such a fun night wasn't it I mean it's a it's a bit of a uh, um, 
a visually uh, arresting film, very bright colours, a little bit garish, a little bit cheesy, very, very 80s, you know, with the, the shoulder pads and the, and, the, and the big hair and all of that sort of thing. But all three of us knew all the words, didn't we? <laughs> and every time one of those immortal lines like, Gordon's alive, which, is, which was screamed by Brian Blessed, we were we were shouting it out as well and having a laugh and and that's why I thought that it would be good to talk about Flash Gordon because it's one of those films again which has passed into legend. Now Flash Gordon was originally a, a, a cartoon strip going way back to the nineteen twenties and thirties, uh, drawn and written by somebody called Alex Raymond. There were uh, three film versions actually there were film serial versions made in the 1930s starring somebody called Buster Crab and they were obviously in black and white and and you used to go to the cinema every Saturday for 13 weeks to see a 20 minute episode of Flash Gordon so it was already part of the mythos of, of science fiction across the world and this film made in 1980 as you say I don't know how they managed it but it was a miraculous combination of an amazing soundtrack by rock band Queen. Visually stunning, as I've already said, very bright colours, very in keeping with the original flavour of the original comic strip and the 1930s version, so the rocket ships all look very similar. And well-known actors who have now passed into legend, like Brian Blessed and Timothy Dalton, and a bit of a cheesy script, I guess. It was, I sometimes didn't know whether it was trying to be too much comedy or, or too much drama, but they just seemed to hit the balance right. Just a great, fun film, which was science fiction that came out around the time, you know, the world had got used to Star Wars, um, we'd had The Empire Strikes Back, that was quite a serious film, and, and then, bang, along comes Flash Gordon, and it was a great, fun film, and it's it's one of those ones that I could just watch time and time again, especially with a couple of decent buddies and a bottle of wine mm. and, a chick- and a chicken curry takeaway. I think you're right. If you were to read a summary paper or the juxtaposition of the the vision about the music, the vision about the decor and the sets, the costumes, the acting and so on, this would not work. I mean, you look at the ingredients and you go, this is a recipe for for disaster. Um, But the producer, Dino De Laurentiis, had a vision. And what is really, uh, well, I have a lot of respect, is that they respected indeed, you know, what's Flash Gordon or the original Flash Gordon in terms of the comic strip and the, the, the series. It would have been very tempting, and this is where the film marketing comes in for me, very tempting to, to look around what others are doing. And you're right, Empire Strikes Back had, had just you know, been out. The world now was used to Star Wars as the reference point. It would have been very tempting to literally go, nah, let's not do Flash Gordon the way in which um, you know the authors back in the 20s and 30s wanted it. Let's do a Star Wars-like Flash yes. Gordon. Very, very tempting. And part of my work usually as the content marketing consultant is to always remind people, get on with your vision and your craft. Don't spend your time looking around about what others are doing. They are too busy doing their thing. And the world doesn't need another Star Wars-like story. 
that that that's a journey. I mean, those are linked because you remember that George Lucas was obviously very much inspired by Flash Gordon because mm. he'd been around watching the TV series. The I'm not sure that that's truth or more kind of legend, but someone said he wanted to make Flash Gordon back in the days because he didn't have the right, he wrote Star Wars instead. I'm not sure about that, but, you know, that's part of it. But what is nice mentioning about the cast in particular, there is a strong James Bond and the strong Star Wars, you know, kind of uh, influence because many of the actors and producers ended up working on James Bond movies or on Star Wars movies, you know, years and years later. In terms of the marketing, certainly what they did well at the time was the timing. So let's not compete against the summer blockbusters. This was released in the end of year for the end of year festivities. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. For me, as an outsider, I would say that it's almost pantomime season. Yes. Um, when this was released in the UK, uh, as you know, Flash Gordon did very well in Europe. Not so well in the US, which I'm, mm. I'm wondering why, because ultimately the creators of Flash Gordon were Americans, am I right? Yes, indeed. And, and maybe that was the whole point. Maybe it was the, the pantomime element mm. that just hit the spot in Europe. <laughs> I, I, I don't know whether whether they even do pantomimes in, in the United States, but perhaps it, even though it was an American production, there was something remarkably British about it. Yes. You know, even though the guy who played... Flash um, was an American. It had a very British vibe to it. You know, Brian Blessed, archetypal <laughs> Brit. You know, um, Timothy Dalton played it. Just he, he, he was so funny, but he was just that straight laced sort of uh, British hero, wasn't he? So it, it just it just had that vibe, and maybe that's why it didn't do well. But I think you're absolutely right, and it's a big lesson for us is not to try and copy and be the same as everybody else. And 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 you see this so much that somebody showed me a, a, a visual this week of a certain category of car. And basically they'd shown each model corresponding in the in that bracket for each of the main manufacturers. So BMW, Audi, blah blah blah. And they all look the same apart from maybe that one's slightly more rounded here and a slightly more square there. And you think, come on, where's the, where's the innovation? Where's the being different? And, and I think Flash Gordon paints that lesson. You know, it's, it would have been so easy for them to have just done another Star Wars, but they went for that visual, outlandish visual look, the pantomime feel, and it absolutely worked. The, I mean... Uh, what, what I will say is that also, which is, you know, once you've committed to a vision, don't deviate again by being distracted by what others others are doing. So when it came to, to the marketing, what they did do, which again is a surprise why it didn't work so well in the US, they had some very, very short trailers that were mimicking the comic strips. You know, there was always mm. like a very short action scene and a cliffhanger, real cliffhanger, yes, where sometimes yes. Flash was hanging off a cliff. And so... What they did for the film um, promotion, they, they took action scenes, but you didn't know how well Flash Gordon, the character, would, would, would fare and, and do. My friends in France went to see it before I did. They all came back from the cinema, and they all tell me about the scene where they had to put the hand inside the tree stump with that kind of <laughs> scorpion-like creature. That's all they talked about. Yeah. So 
for when I went to, finally when I went, I was just waiting for the scene. And actually, even to this day, it's that kind of, you know, probably primordial fear of putting your hand somewhere where you shouldn't <laughs> and have some kind of creepy insect biting you. But it was so funny. That was a, the whole, all they mentioned of the whole film was this thing where someone has put their hand, get stung, and, and die um, eventually. From the what you can read, because there's so much uh, been written by the, the the film. I know it's been re-released this year in a very very special 4K version, and so on. It's going to be beautiful. But suddenly, you mentioned Timothy Dalton. Um, he went full on in the, in the, in the acting the character, and perhaps you know did him good for his career. Absolutely right, and 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 it's like the tree stump scene was so iconic, and and of course the actor that put his hand in and got bitten was one of the uh, Blue Peter presenters, I always remember that, uh, um, Peter Duncan. Um, and, and so many things have become legendary. Um, I mean, Sam Jones effectively reprised the role of Flash Gordon in the Ted film, you know, mm, with the talking right. teddy bear. Um, and, and I went to see, I, I was at a dinner a couple of years ago, and Brian Blessed was the after-dinner speaker. And wow. guess what he did? The, he was introduced, he was introduced, he walked up onto the stage, opened his mouth and shouted at the top of his voice, Gordon's alive! And that was how he started. And the audience just went absolutely crazy. And that was a one line that he uttered in a film 40 years ago. And he probably starts every single speech that he does to this day with those words. That's how ingrained they've become into, into legend. It, it's fabulous. So, not you know, I would say to our viewers and listeners, if you've not seen Flash Gordon and you are not quite sure about what we're talking about, I highly recommend you watch it with, with a family. It's it's, it's a great hood. Um, I, I suspect it's going to be on the big screen. I would like to think that in December this year, forty years to the day of the release, uh, there would be something very special. But again, it's about the vision, and and I have to say, this is where this is where for me I take the message of. If you have a vision, stick with it. Even if around you there's some murmurs and some noise, it's not going to be quite right because I can guarantee that it will find its audience. Roger, this has been episode nine. It's been an absolute pleasure. To our viewers and listeners, a big thank you for your ongoing support. If you'd like to subscribe and leave comments, please go to the usual places. I was Pascal Fintoni and he was Roger Edwards. Until next time, go out there and make sure your marketing is done right. Mm -hmm.